Good morning, everyone. My name is Daniel, and I'm reading for us uh, from the book of Psalms, chapter 107, from verse 23 to verse 32 inclusive, and that you'll find that on page 490. And it says, some went out on the sea in ships. There were merchants and the mighty waters, on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he got them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Good morning, my name is Pina, and the second reading comes from John 6, and it's found on page 864 in the Church Bibles. So it's John 6, and we're reading from 16 to 35. Oh, sorry, it's on 865. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works 
God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from the heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, everyone. I'm James. I'm bringing God's word today. Uh, please keep that open. That will help. Page 865. We're working through that part of John 6 today. You'll find an outline inside the info sheet as well. But first, let's pray and ask God's help. Please uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for sending him into our world. Thank you for these two amazing signs that he did that we're looking at today. Help us to understand them and so love Jesus more and serve him more. We ask it in his name. Amen. We've just elected a state government. We're about to elect a federal government. So we're thinking about governments, but there's one thing about governments that we need to keep in mind, and that is this, that the government that sinners want is different from the government that sinners need. The government that sinners want is different from the government that sinners need. What is the government that sinners want? Well, it's a government that will make our lives comfortable, a government that will provide our earthly needs and hopefully some of our wants as well. And so this is why political parties promise those things, more houses, more trains, better public transport, more stadiums perhaps, um, lower taxes, more services, uh, less pollution, cheaper electricity. Uh, they promise what sinners want. But what about the government sinners need? This is something quite different. The government sinners need is a government that deal, will deal with sin. For a start, that is something quite different. In our passage today, we see that the sinners of Jesus' day were the same as today. Jesus performs a great miracle, verses 1 to 13. He feeds a crowd of 5,000 men, which you, if you add in the women and the children who were there, probably 10, 20,000 people. And he, prov he feeds this massive crowd with just five small barley loaves and two small fish. And he doesn't just take the edge off their hunger, they eat and are satisfied completely. There is an abundance so that there are 12 basketfuls of bread left over. He provides an abundance. And what is the people's response? Verse 15, they want to come and make him king by force. Here is the king we want, 
Here is the king who can provide what we want, full bellies, at no charge. And they probably had a few other things in mind as well, like freedom from Rome and making Israel great again. But Jesus won't have it. Unlike any politician we know, he walks away from the top job when it's right there for him to take. A strange politician. He withdraws from them. Why? Because he's come to be the government sinners need, not the government that they want. Or to put it in the words of this passage, he's come to be the king that sinners need, not the king that sinners want. So who then is the king that sinners need? Well, firstly, he's the king that provides true and lasting satisfaction. We've seen the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but we know, because we're, we're here to this uh, stage in John now, that Jesus' miracles are not simply great signs to wow the crowds, but they are signs pointing to who he is and why he's come. We find out the next day what this sign is pointing to. Verse 22 onwards, Jesus draws three lessons from this sign. Firstly, seek what lasts, not just what doesn't. The crowds who ate their fill come looking for Jesus, but Jesus says to them, verse 26, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They're not looking for Jesus because they've finally come to understand what the signs mean. They're not looking for him because they've come to understand who he really is and why he's come. They come, look, they come looking for him because they had a good feed and he filled their bellies and they're eager for more. He, they come looking for him because they gave him what they want. So he says to them, 27, do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. We can spend our whole life, can't we, just working to put food on the table. Now, we have to do that. Uh, Jesus is not denying that. He knew that. He told us to pray for our daily bread, give us today our daily bread. But his point is that there is more to life than that. There is more to life than just working to put food on our table. Because we are more than physical beings, we are spiritual beings as well. We not only need physical food, we need spiritual food as well. That's because we were created for relationship with God. That is why he put us on this earth. That is why he made us, to be in relationship with him. Our bodies die, but we go on living. We face a judgment. We face either eternal life or eternal condemnation. We are more than physical bodies. So Jesus is saying, don't just seek what sustains the body. Seek what will sustain you for eternal life as well. In fact, that's more important because eternity is a long time. So that's the first point. Seek what lasts, not just what doesn't. Secondly, Jesus says, what lasts, eternal life, is a free gift. It can't be earned. 
27 again, do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. What sustains us for eternal life is a free gift from Jesus. His hearers completely miss that point because they then say to him in 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? That is, what are the good works we must be doing to earn this eternal life, Jesus? Jesus answered 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That is what God requires. There's not a whole lot of good works by which you will earn eternal life. Firstly, because you can't do it, it's impossible, it's beyond you. No, 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 what God requires is one work, one thing, that you trust in me. Because that's how you receive this free gift of eternal life, purely by trusting in me. The work God requires is not a work that we do to earn eternal life, but simply to trust in his Son, who gives us eternal life as a free gift. How good is that? How good is that? That's the second point. Eternal life is a free gift. And thirdly, Jesus says, that gift of eternal life satisfies completely. Pick it up at verse 33. Jesus says, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Each of us has a deep hunger for relationship. We long to be loved unconditionally. We long to be accepted completely for who we are. We long to belong somewhere entirely, to really belong. And human friendship can, supply, can satisfy that hunger and thirst, but only partly. It can't satisfy it completely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why is that? Well, because all of our friends, like us, are flawed to some extent. They will all let us down to some degree. Try as they might, they can't love us unconditionally, accept us completely, and make us belong entirely. Looking to them to do that is like asking this toy bulldozer that someone pinched from me earlier. It's, it's like asking this toy bulldozer to do the job of a real bulldozer. Just can't do it. Only God is the real bulldozer. Only he can fully satisfy that longing deep within us for love and acceptance and belonging. And the, and the gift of eternal life is what does it. It can satisfy that hunger and thirst completely because that's what eternal life is. It's relationship with the Father beginning now and lasting forever. How does Jesus give that gift? Well, come back on Good Friday because we'll be looking at the next passage where Jesus goes on to explain that at length. But I can't leave you hanging completely because it's too important. How does Jesus give us that gift? Well, he loves us with a love beyond our understanding, a love, 
uh, too deep to plumb completely. He gives his own life in the place of ours on the cross. He bears our condemnation so that as we trust in him, we are forgiven completely and given eternal life. That is the love that satisfies the hunger and thirst deep within us. And it's the only thing that will. Uh, it's like the psalmist says. Uh, Psalm 90. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. That's the only thing which satisfies us completely, the unfailing love of God. And that is expressed most fully at the cross. So let me ask you, friend, where are you looking for love and acceptance and belonging? Yes, to a degree, other people can provide those things, but not completely, not completely. They will always disappoint in some way because they're flawed like us. It's only God who can satisfy that longing of our inner being. And so Jesus is the king we all need because only he provides that true and lasting satisfaction of our souls. Secondly, he's the king we all need because he's the king who provides true security. The disciples faced a terrifying situation early in John 6. Jesus had fed the massive crowd, then he went by himself up the mountain uh, so he wouldn't be made king. And then, picking up the story at verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, that is the Sea of Galilee, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Absolutely frightened, I believe. Absolutely terrified. Because imagine yourself in that situation. You're in a small sailing boat, probably about the size of one of those life-saving boats at the surf. You've got a few oars, but you're a long way from shore, five or six kilometres, too far to swim in a raging storm, even if you're a strong swimmer. And it's the middle of the night. It's pitch black because of the storm. You wouldn't know which way to swim. You'd be completely disoriented, even if you could. The wind is howling, blowing the ship around. The waves are tossing the ship around like a cork. What are you thinking? I'm going to die. We're all going to drown. Not a nice way to die, drowning. And then to make things worse, there's this figure approaching you on the waves. The other disciples tell us, uh, the, other, the other gospels tell us that the disciples believed it was a ghost. Here is a visitor from the dead to welcome us to our watery grave. They are absolutely terrified. 
But imagine the relief when the figure speaks with a familiar voice. It is I. Don't be afraid. They realise that it's Jesus. And so then, 21, they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Do you think that's another little miracle slipped in there? Immediately, miraculously, they reached the shore. Certainly Jesus had the power to do that, to take them to shore in an instant because he could walk on the water. But it's interesting that Mark and Matthew leave out the immediately and describe it as a normal journey back to the shore. So it could be that John was saying as soon as Jesus was on board, the storm died and, and quickly they were to the shore. But either way, the point of the sign is clear. Jesus did not leave his disciples alone in that storm. He came to them, he saved their lives, he rescued them from perishing in that sea. It was a great miracle. But what are the miracles? What does John emphasise? Signs, signs pointing to who Jesus is and why he's came. What is this sign pointing to? It's not actually explained. There's a clue, though, in the words that Jesus said, it is I, literally, I am. I am. At one level, Jesus was just saying, it's me, guys, I'm here, it's me. But in John's Gospel, particularly, those words, I am, have a very special meaning. John, uh, Jesus often says, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. Before Abraham was, I am. It's a deliberate reference back to what God said to Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell Pharaoh, I am, has sent me to you. And from those words, I am, came God's name, Yahweh. Jesus is the great I am. That is what is being said here. He is the great I am. In the flesh, he is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. I am. It ties in with our Old Testament reading we had today, uh, also about God, the great I am, saving sailors in a storm. Uh, I'll read just a couple of verses. Uh, he stilled, this is God, Yahweh, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Jesus is the great saviour God. I am the God of the psalm. See the parallel with Yahweh, the I am of Exodus, just as God provided manna in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus provides food for the 20,000 in the countryside, just as God saved Israel through the sea by parting the sea, so Jesus provides food in the desert for the 20,000 and saves his people from the sea, not by parting the sea but by walking on it. Those early events followed the first Passover. These events come at another Passover. Notice how John points that out in verse 4. This was Passover time. 
Jesus is the great I am. That is what this sign is pointing to. But we can't even leave it there because Jesus' signs not only point to who he was but to what he's come to do. But neither John nor Jesus explain this sign, do they? Unlike the bread, which is explained. Could it be that's because John has already explained this sign? I think it could be. Remember chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, what should be our greatest fear at sinners, as sinners? Drowning in the sea? Well, actually, no. That shouldn't be our greatest fear. Our greatest fear should be perishing eternally to bearing the wrath of God for all eternity. That should be our greatest fear. That is a lot worse than drowning in the sea. But what did Jesus come to do? He came to do what this sign is pointing to. He came to save us from perishing eternally. That is why he went to the cross. Just as he saved his disciples from perishing in the sea, so if we will only trust him, he will save us from perishing for eternity. If we do trust him like that, friends, if you do trust him like this, then you can be sure that he will save you also from any other situation that you're terrified of or even mildly fearful of. That's his promise. He will save you from it or save you through it. See, what are you afraid of at the moment? Can you think of something that you are dreading? Perhaps a situation at work or in your family or amongst your neighbours or, or whatever. Is there something you're dreading? It may be quite a small thing that you're, that you're anxious about it. Or it may be like a big dark cloud hanging over you, something you're dreading and you can't actually even now get out of your mind. Could be something to do with your health perhaps. Well, Jesus promises that he will come to you, that he will be with you, and that he will save you somehow through that situation. That's his promise. He's already saved you from eternal perishing, and he'll be with you to save you from whatever else you're facing as well. Jesus is the king who alone provides true security as well as the king who provides true and lasting satisfaction. He is the king that we all need. So as I wrap up, let me uh, ask you to consider a couple of things. Firstly, if Jesus is not yet your king, I urge you to consider this question. Could it be that he is the king you desperately need even though he may not be the king that you think you want? Is he the king you need even though you haven't realised it yet? Uh, you thought that once you got enough stuff and money you would be comfortable, you would be satisfied and content. But it's not. You aren't. You still find yourself deeply 
unsatisfied with life. You thought that your friends and family would supply that need for love and acceptance and belonging, but it hasn't worked out that way. There's still an aching gap in your heart. You thought that you could ignore the guilt that you feel because you know you have not treated some people properly. But it just won't go away. It's still there. You wouldn't tell a soul, but secretly you are terrified of dying and facing God's judgment. Could it just be that Jesus is the king you desperately need? And I put it to you that he is. He alone truly satisfies. He alone provides true security. If that is you, friend, then let me encourage you, now is the time to take Jesus as your king. But if Jesus is already your king, I've got a different question for you and for me. Are you living that out day to day? Are you living as if he is your king? Is that the reality of how you live with Jesus as your king, the one who satisfies completely and is your true security? Or do we still live as if this world is all we've got? Are we still seeking satisfaction in the wrong places? Are we still looking to our human relationships to satisfy us completely in a way that they can't possibly do? Are we still seeking loveless sex or porn or romantic imaginings to satisfy our longing when they don't? Do we still think that stuff and experience experiences will satisfy. My friends, we need to remember that it's only the love of God through Jesus that will satisfy. And so we need to feast ourselves on that love, the free gift of eternal life. We need to drink deeply at the well of his faithfulness and his kindness and his generosity. Drink deeply at that. Our constant prayer should be, like the psalmist, satisfy us in the morning and at noon and afternoon at night. Satisfy us with your unfailing love shown to us in the Lord Jesus. Fill us up, Father. Singing is one powerful way to do this. Uh, we're going to sing in a few moments, I think, one of my favourite songs at the moment. Here is love vast as the ocean. And verse 2 uh, says this, On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Only the love of God truly satisfies. Do we live like that on a daily basis in that reality? 
And do we live in the reality that Jesus is a true security? Or do we still live as if our wits and our resources are all we've got? Is prayer our last resort instead of being our first reflex? He can save us from whatever we're afraid of at the moment. Friends, I suggest we end today with a moment of quiet. Uh, do grab me afterwards if there are questions or comments, please. But we're going to end today with a, a moment of quiet. And I'll, I'll suggest what you might pray to God about, that, that if you haven't yet received him as your king, you do that. Take him as your king this morning. But if he is your king, king, thank him for the king he is. The king who satisfies completely, who is our true security. Ask him to satisfy you with his love this morning. Ask him to do that. And entrust to him what you are anxious about, what you're fearful about at the moment. Let's pray together. Let's have a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for these powerful signs that we've seen this morning. We thank you that Jesus alone satisfies that deep hunger and thirst within each one of us for love and acceptance and belonging. And that he does it by dying in our place, giving himself up for us to give us the eternal life that alone satisfies. And we thank you that you are our true security, Father, that somehow whatever it is we're facing and we're anxious about or terrified of, that you are with us, that you love us, and that somehow you will save us from it or save us through it. Help us to trust you, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.